called Created for Community, and last week we had a guest preacher, Justin Early, who was here with us. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back on our uh, YouTube channel and watch that, um, because it was very good, and it's very helpful and foundational for some of the things that we'll do going forward. One of the things that um, Justin spoke about was recovering friendship, right? Recovering friendship in a society that is isolated and lonely. See, the sobering fact is, according to the Surgeon General, that we live in an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. You can put that slide up. This is, just so you believe me, this is the screenshot from the website for May of 2023. It says, the new Surgeon General advisory raises alarm about the devastating impact of the epidemic of loneliness and isolation in the United States. Uh, I read the report and it's lengthy, but there's many things in there. And one of the things, sidebar, parents, one of the things in there is social media is a big factor. So please limit the amount of time your kids get with social media and screen time in general. Um, but having said that, we are people made in the image of God, created for authentic relationships in which we can be fully known and fully loved at the same time. Uh, that's what we all long for, right? Um, not long ago, uh, someone in our congregation sh shared a, an Instagram post, and I'll keep them secret, but the words of it, and we may have a slide for this too, the words of it are by Emily Zolan. It read this way. We are like books. Most people only see the cover. The minority read only the introduction. Many people believe the critics. Few will know our content. This is the cry that we all have to be known and loved. And yet Jesus' followers somehow felt known and loved. So what is it that helps forge such authentic relationships to be both known and loved? Let's take a look in Acts chapter 2 and see what was going on there and what helped shape and forge those relationships. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. We think of uh, friendship and, and fellowship. We, we might talk about that and like, hey, friends, getting together and hanging out. In fact, we might think about like sitting on the beach together and sipping a cold beverage while we're sitting there and talking and having a good time. And that is good. There's, that's great. But authentic relationships are going to go a little bit deeper than just the fun, than just those good times, right? Last week, Justin reminded us of ocean currents, and ocean currents that carry us away, and a riptide strongly would carry you out to sea, right? When the cultural currents of the day cause you to be swept out to sea, it's obvious. You know it. You're like, oh no, I'm, I'm getting further from shore. What we don't know, and what he pointed out, is the subtle drift of the current. That when you go to play in the waves, but you're relatively close to shore, and then after 20 or 30 minutes, you like come out of the waves and you get on the beach and you look up and you're like, I don't know where I am. Those aren't my people. Where are my people? And you're like, oh yeah, I got to walk 200 yards back up the beach that way. 
to go find him because I drifted in the current and it was subtle and we don't notice it. And many times in our society, in our culture, the drift of the current is slow and subtle. And I think what that means for us is it's time for us to step out of the water, back onto the shore, look around and reset. Say, okay, what is it that we need in life? What do we need to be doing? And so as we read this text, I want to look at some of the habits in here that forge authentic Christian community. One of the things that you may have noticed as we read it, it says they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves. Think of that word. What does that word mean to be devoted to? Be committed, right? All in. This is my thing. I'm committed to this. And what were they committed to? What were they devoted to? They were devoted to Jesus' way of life, to the habits of this community. Now, I think that's true, and that's important, and I I hope you heard those words. You might think of all the things they did, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I want you to get the fact that they did this together. Did you hear the words, as we read, common, together, they, their? This is the things they're doing in community together. It even talks about the fellowship that they had. The fellowship, the koinonia is the Greek word for that. And what it means is the participating or sharing in life together. Right? You might think of the, the movie that's somewhat old now, The Lord of the Rings, right? And there's a little hobbit named Frodo who's trying to go about uh, solving the problems of Middle Earth by returning this ring to Mount Doom in, in the heart of Mordor, right? But he can't do it alone. And so dwarves and elves and other hobbits and men go with him, and they're called the Fellowship of the Ring, right? This this fellowship is this bond that they're devoted together in life on this thing that they're doing. This is what it is for, like, this Christian community and for us is to look like, to be devoted to these things. So some of the key habits that they're devoted to that forge them, first is that they're committed learners, Notice in verses 42 and 43 that said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? That is, they're saying what the apostles are teaching us, which is what Jesus taught them, what's been handed down and passed along, right? And so they are learning what uh, Jesus taught in his way of life. And so they're being committed to that. And they're knowing that. They're learning it. They're discovering it. You and I oftentimes think in today's day and age of learning and discovery and knowledge as information, as content. That's not entirely accurate for the whole picture, right? Especially if you're learning a skill or a trade, something that requires a repetition of movement, knowing what to do. That learning isn't simply information, it's it's, uh, putting it into habit, into implementation. That's when you know it's learned. That's how you get tested on it, right? And so, in this sense, when they are devoted to the apostles' teaching, it's not simply the information. It's something that hits their their head and their heart and their hands. It shapes what they think, how they feel, and what they do. It shapes all of life for them. And so, one of the questions for us to be forged together in authentic Christian community is, are you a committed learner or a devoted learner? Do you read the words of Scripture? Do you let that sink in? And not just the information, but does it then start to to infiltrate you and shape the way your hands, what they do, the way your feet walk, the kinds of things that you're serving in and, and what you are doing in life? Do you pray 
to talk to God, to listen? Do you hear for wisdom from the Spirit? And if you're not forged by God's word, then whose word? Social influencers? Taylor Swift? The NFL? We're in an election cycle. Trump? Biden? I don't know. Who, who, are, you gonna, who are you listening to? What they devoted themselves to was to listen to God. This is what God tells us above all things. One of the questions we might ask then is that if we have these cultural currents and all these voices to, us, to listen to, what's gonna, how are we going to not drift? And one of the answers to that is the simple answer that, that Sullivan's beautiful prayer that he could answer is like, Jesus, right? That's how we're not going to drift because Christ is our anchor that will hold us fast. He will hold us fast. But that's, you have to look to Christ, your anchor, right? And set that anchor. Sometimes you've got to get out of the current and get back on shore. One of the questions, another question we should ask is, should relationships then, if you're thinking, okay, I need this, I want friendship, should my relationships have to be forged around common knowledge? If we're saying they were devoted to learning, committed to that, to that teaching, do my friendships have to be formed around people who, who know and think the same things that I do? It's a good question. Now, Christians have in common some beliefs, right? We have some common beliefs about the world and how it works, about creation, about redemption and salvation, about heaven. Um, we have some common beliefs around moral values uh, that come to us in Scripture. But even Jesus' disciples consisted of people who were very different. You have Matthew, right, who's, who's a tax collector for Rome, the evil emperor, you have Simon the Zealot, who wants to lead the rebellion against Rome, and somehow those two work together, following Jesus. Right? You've got, you've got all kinds of things. You've got uh, Luke, then, as the disciples grow in, 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 in uh, number. Luke, who comes along with Paul later, he's a physician. John and James are fishermen, and Peter's a fisherman. Um, the women that followed him from all kinds of backgrounds... Um, you have people with different money, different ethnicity, different class, different political uh, persuasions, all following Jesus. Those things should not divide Christian fellowship. We are united by something that's bigger and better than all that. We are united by Christ, his life and death for us. So if you're social or political affiliations and you think, do people think the same way as me? Do we have the same shared knowledge? If those supersede your Christian fellowship, it's an idol, according to the Bible. That as Christians, we are supposed to love one another, build relationships with one another. It doesn't mean we're best friends with every single person because we have limited time and abilities to do that. But if you're like, no, I can't be friends with that person who's a Christian because they see life differently than me in this way, then, then you've got a problem, according to the Scriptures. Because they devoted themselves to the key things about Christ and his world and, his, and, and uh, his way of life. And idolatry was not one of those things, which leads to the next point. Not only were they committed learners, they were frequent worshipers. They were frequent worshipers. They met together regularly and worshiped together. Now, how do we know that? We know that for a couple reasons. It tells us in verse 42 that, that they gathered for the breaking of bread. Um, the breaking of bread, most scholars think, refers to celebrating to together the Lord's Supper. 
And so that was one of the things they would do as they gathered to worship. Um, but they also devoted themselves to prayer, not just individually, but as a church. They gathered to pray. It also tells us that they gathered in the temple courts daily. Okay, now the temple courts, that was like, um, I don't know that we have a good way to, to, to do that today. If you go to, it would be like this. If you think of Italy or if you've gone to Italy and you see all these cathedrals, right, and they're there, and then there's a square right around it where everything happens, and there's restaurants and people are interchanging and doing life, and then there's this, this temple, it would be like that. The temple courts are the area where everybody gathered in the city. And then in those courts, they could go to outer courts and inner courts into the temple to actually worship. Daily, though, they're hanging out with people, and they are gathering there to hang out, to have fellowship, to pray, to worship, we're not commanded daily to do that. It doesn't tell us to do that. It's saying that's what they did. We are commanded weekly, the Bible tells us, to, for the Sabbath to honor it and to rest and to worship. So we're commanded weekly to gather for rest and worship together. And that's something we got to think about because if that's one of the things that helps forge authentic community and you want that, then that means it has to be a priority that you gather with God's people and you gather to worship together. So do you honor the Sabbath to worship and forge Christian community and love others well? We, we're busy people. We're a busy society, and we bring it on ourselves. We like to say, well, it's put on us, but the fact is we choose it, and we do it, and we participate in it, and the more of us that do it creates more of this momentum that makes ourselves this way. You could look at your calendar and go, okay, when, when am I at church? Are you there three-quarters of the time, half the time, quarter of the time, I don't know, a third, two-thirds, whatever it is. But one of the things that Scripture teaches us is to say to be devoted to frequent worshiping together. And it says weekly worship, right? That's going to help you in the isolation and loneliness you tend to feel to say, okay, I'm part of this group, this people. And we gather not just for each other but to worship our God. I mean, think of it this way. If, if you only come half the time, you're supposed to come, and part of it is to nourish you, to feed you spiritually, to connect you with other people. If you had a child that was only fed half the time, you would probably refer to that child as malnourished. Spiritually, are you malnourished? Are you malnourished? spiritually and if so then unplug and reboot design your weekly calendar so that you can unplug from the things that keep you away from whatever that is if it's work or sports or whatever it is and make it a priority to gather for authentic christian community and worship some of you have done that and have your family take breaks and it's life-giving and it's wrestling like oh yeah it's so easy to be in that current so easy to be in the current i mean i've lived there and i've done that and so you got to step out You've got to change your calendar, change your schedule. The third thing that we notice about them gathering together is that forging this community was that they became generous givers. Um, we see this in lots of places, but particularly in verses 44 and 45. I'll read it to you quickly. It says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. When it says they have everything in common, it's talking about the things that they shared life together. It says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they're like, hey, this is life together. They just didn't give out of the extra cash that they had. They, they sold things that they had in order to help others. It was sacrificial for the good of others. They were following Jesus' example, right? 
Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know where your treasure is, follow the money. Those are the things we value. Some of those things are really good and necessary. To live, you have to eat. It costs a lot to eat today, right? That's just part of one of the truths. But your money shows you what's valuable and important. Does it also reveal the importance of generosity? Can you live sufficiently and give generously? In order to do that, you have to learn to be thankful. Because your heart needs to be thankful first in order to become generous. Because if you're not thankful, thankful, then you're never, you think you never have enough. I always need more. But if you can be thankful for what you have, you can start to become generous with what God has provided. How is the Lord teaching you generosity? And part of the answer to that is, because this has been my answer before, I don't know, I'm worried. How, how do I do it? How will I make it? What's going to happen? Will I have enough? Right? Worry is believing that God might get it wrong. Can I really trust him? But greed and lack of generosity is believing God actually did get it wrong. I can't trust him. He's wrong. I'm going to cling to it. So they become generous givers. They also become hospitable friends, which is the last point here today. They become hospitable friends. In verse 46, it says that... um, Every day they continued meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. They are devoted to learning the apostles' teaching. And notice that they are also devoted to caring for one another in relationships. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care right I think one of the things we try to do in a culture in which we have to impress everybody with our resume and all these different things and our educational degrees is we try to say look how much I know knowledge is good but knowledge isn't what builds friendships because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care do you love well What are some of the outcomes here of such care? What did it look like in lives? Well, well, they shared things, counting them as common. Hey, what's mine is yours. That was kind of their mindset. Um, they would love to share things with each other, generous. It was, their, it was their own private property. It wasn't like forced that they all had to take it all to the disciples and they distributed it all, but they just naturally, organically, like, shared, generous with what they have. They ate in their homes together. Conversation and laughter. Laughter is so good for us, Right? fun together, but also encouraging and praying together, worshiping together, celebrating what God is doing. That authentic community was attractive to those who were not yet followers of Jesus because it tells us then, as they did that, others saw it and were drawn in and added to their number. They're like, I want that. I need that. And it was that hospitality, that that hospitableness of friends gathering was part of what drew others into the early church and it grew their number you know we can look at this and say this is good man i've had people say to me before sometimes i even think it i just wish we were like the early church can we just be like the new testament church and in some ways we need to be 
right? Um, but as we say that, the way that it often gets said is, is with this idealized, romanticized sense that it must have been so swell back then. I bet everything was great. And that's just not the truth. Um, I don't know if you've read any of the letters that Paul writes to the churches. They often start with the problems. Now about this that you wrote, let me tell you what's gone wrong. I don't know if you, if you want to look past Acts chapter 2 into chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, but if you do, you're going to see things like the people begin to lie about giving money so that they look good in front of others, and it actually caused them to die. It shows how people got jealous, how they, um, they fed widows of one ethnic group but didn't take care of the widows of another ethnic group, and the apostles stepped in and said, this shouldn't be, because together... We're the same in Christ. And they appoint deacons to take care and make sure that everybody gets treated equally, fairly in that way, not overlooked or mistreated. Right? And then there's this guy, Stephen, who's awesome, except for that when he gets killed, because of what he believes, by a guy named Saul, who later gets converted and becomes Paul, writes those letters to those churches about those problems. So, so the New Testament church is great, and yet full of problems. Why? Because we're all sinful people. It doesn't matter if it was 2,000 years ago or now. The fact is what unites us together are two things. You and I are sinners, and we're saved by the blood of Jesus. And that's what we need. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to practice. We are sinners in desperate need of the grace of Jesus. The truth is this, that the only kind of spouse or friend that you will have is a sinful one. They're going to mess up. Sometimes it'll be in small ways. Sometimes it's going to be in big ways. That has consequences. But Jesus tells us that we learn to love and forgive and seek reconciliation in relationships when the rest of the world wants to cancel them. Justin Early writes, vulnerability and time turn people who have a relationship into people who have a friendship. That's what friendship is, vulnerability across time. And there's other components to that that he would talk about and we can talk about in the weeks to come. But I want you to, to, to take heart in this, that this is part of what we do. He talked about snacks and meals last week. I don't know if you remember that when you heard that, right? And he talked about you know, a text message is a good way to, to send a snack to a friend. Hey, how are you doing? Catch up. That's good. But meals are when you, where you're face-to-face -face with one another. One of the challenges he gave us, and that I want to reissue to you, is that at least weekly, just spend at least an hour with a meal with a friend. Meal's metaphorical. It could be an actual meal, and that would be great. But even if it's not, an hour face-to-face -face relationship. Snacks are great, keep those up, but a meal a week. Throughout the history of our church, people have been drawn in through authentic community uh, and the life that, that people live together here in church. Um, I remember when we, were re we meet, when we were meeting back in the school, one of the, um, there was a group of women that did something called stroller strides. I didn't go to it, I don't know, don't ask me to explain it. You can imagine, I don't know. They got their kids in strollers and they're exercising, I guess. In any case, through that, a lot of people were invited to our church. 
One couple that was invited, Aaron and Jim, didn't know much about the Bible. But because those people were friendly, they came and showed up. And then they started asking about it and talked about it. And they, they became Christians because people befriended them. And to this day, they're committed to a church where they live now in Arizona. That's good news. That's a wonderful thing because they were befriended. They came in. In another family, the wife was a Christian and her husband was not. He was a happy-go-lucky kind of guy with a smile as, as wide as the ocean from ear to ear. Lots of fun. Um, always up for a good party. Maybe too much in life. Um, he was characterized by red checkered vans because that was the way he rolled. Those in church, no socks, was awesome. And uh, they were befriended by a community group and welcomed in and loved. And, uh, and then eventually, he and I meet and others in his group meet, and he's like, all right, I've been doing this other stuff all my life. What's this Jesus stuff? Like, what is this Christianity stuff? And he becomes a Christian. And then a few years after that, he becomes a community group leader. And so then he starts leading others in learning about Jesus and drawing people in because he was, he was a great friend in that way, and that's how he was drawn in. We want the Disney endings to everything in life where it ends happily, and sadly in this case, it, it did not. John, while playing soccer, died from a massive heart attack. It still leaves a big impact on his family. Lauren and her friends still gather annually, and they remember, and they cry, and they celebrate, and they encourage, and they laugh together. Now, why end with this story? Because the fact is, life is hard, and we live in an isolated and lonely world, and we desperately need for as long as we have here, we desperately need authentic friendships. Will you help forge such relationships that are devoted to Jesus, gathering for worship and growing as generous givers and hospitable friends? Isn't, isn't that what Jesus is like? Isn't that what he does? And isn't that beautiful? It's what we all need. It's what Jesus gives. Step out of the current and onto the beach and find your people. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us because we desperately need help. We need help not only from our sins and salvation, but we need help and courage to form friendships, to live into commun in community, to be vulnerable, to become hospitable and generous and devoted to your teaching and worshipers of you. But Lord, will you do that? Will you do that here as you have done in the past? Will you do it again and do it more at Spring Run? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.